begin with an apology. I'm probably going to cough through half of this message, okay? So if you were thinking of giving me a kiss at the end of the service today, I'd recommend waiting until Christmas Eve for that. Let me clear this up a little bit, all right? But uh, listen, today's message is all about worship because I don't know if you realize or not that worship is a key component of the Christmas story. And so I want to ask you to consider a question. I want to have you do a little bit of self-reflection this morning and ask a question. So when we go into worship here, like when we do what we just did, we had a couple worship songs. And after this message, we're going to have a lot of some extended worship time. When we go into worship, where when you go into worship, is your worship heartfelt or is your worship hollow? Now, I want you to really do some self-reflection and think about that question. Like when the music's playing and you walk into church, or is your whole heart engaged in worship? Are you, are you genuinely singing the words and, and lifting up to God praise and thanksgiving and God, thank you so much for what you've done for me. Thank you so much for Christ on the cross. Or is it just hollow? Because God knows the difference. And you can stand up during worship and you can sing out the words. You can, you can, you can cry them out but, but, and, and your, voice can be, your voice can be singing the words. But if your heart is not engaged, God knows the difference. He, 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 is, he is not faked out. We can't fake out God. He knows if we genuinely love him and genuinely want to praise him and worship him or if we're just going through the motions. And it's very easy in church sometimes to go through the motions of worship without actually getting our heart engaged in the depth of, of, of thanking God and praising God for what he's done. Now, I say that from personal experience. So I grew up in, in the church. I grew up in a little town called Corey, Pennsylvania. And in my church, when, when I was growing up, I can remember being in the services, uh, particularly in my teenage years, and my worship was very hollow. All right, so our church had a combination of hymns and then, and then somebody on a guitar leading some worship songs. And so I can remember a lot of Sundays as a teenager that I would go into church, I'd pull out that hymnal, and we usually had like two, you know, two hymns and, and then two songs in the guitar were kind of our norm as a church. And, you know, we'd open that thing, and I, and I just would kind of read the words off the hymnal, you know, just, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. And it was, the words were coming off of my lips, but nothing about my heart was worshipful to God. I was going through the motions. And I would guess that most of the people in my church growing up were doing the same thing. Because while there were a lot of good things about the church that I grew up in, one thing that I can't point back to and say was definitely happening is I'm not sure we had the filling of the Holy Spirit going on in my church that I grew up in. And, there, and that was because there was a lot of hollow worship going on. And God's Spirit shows up in places where there's heartfelt worship, not where there's hollow worship. And so we would all kind of go through this hollow worship. I just think almost everybody in our church did. There was almost no emotion. There wasn't, there, just, there, there wasn't a lot of joy. There wasn't a lot of expression. Except for one dude. There was a guy in our church named Fred, and he sat in the front row every single week. Okay? And I will never forget Fred. When I was a teenager, uh, Fred was in his 60s. And he had a bald head, and he, every Sunday he'd come to church, and he always wore jeans, even though we were all dressed up. He always wore jeans. He always had a chain hanging down. His wallet was on a chain. And I just remember Front Row Fred, right? And what Front Row Fred would do is every single week at church, he would be the only person in our church who would put his hands in the air. And I mean, he would get his hand up while those hymns were going, and he's swaying back and forth. And I can remember as a teenager sitting there 
in my hollow, empty worship, looking at front row Fred, thinking, that dude is weird. <laughs> Doesn't he know that we have an unwritten code around here at the Corey Christian and Missionary Alliance Church? We don't put our hands in the air around here. We don't sway our hips around here, right? <laughs> we don't do that, right? Like, like, we just had this unwritten code, and he was weird. And I looked at him as weird my whole time in church, my whole teenage years. And you know what? I got to tell you guys, I think that when God engaged in our church services in my church, my guess is that Fred was one of the few people in that church who really pleased him with his worship because Fred was heartfelt and the rest of us were hollow. And you know what's amazing? 25 years later now in my life, God has grabbed a hold of my life. And 25 years later, everything about my life has changed because I met Jesus and I turned my life over to Jesus after my freshman year of college. Every, from that moment forward, everything about me began to change. And here I am 25 years later. And you know what's incredible? I'm the new front row Fred. <laughs> I stand in the front row every week. And guys, I'm not faking it when I put my hands in the air. Because God has changed my heart. And so now I engage in worship. Decades later, I engage in worship. And, and my heart is genuinely worshiping to God. My heart is genuinely thanking God, lifting him up, praising him. I can't keep my hands at my side, you know. And I probably, we probably have people in our church who go, who's that weird guy in the front row? And then he gets up on the platform to preach. Oh, gosh, okay. And, but it's, listen, my heart has been changed. And so I can say with integrity that 25 years later, my worship today is heartfelt. It didn't always used to be that way, but it came because I encountered the living God and I had my life changed by him. Now, is your worship heartfelt or hollow? Is it heartfelt or hollow? Because God knows the difference. Now, this is important because today we come to week number three of our series that we're calling A Thrill of Hope. And what we've been doing in this series is we have been going through the song, O Holy Night, which is an incredible Christmas hymn. And what we've been doing with that song is, is we've been pulling out phrases because the song, O Holy Night, unpacks a lot of the theology around the Christmas story. So we, so, so we, had, you know, we had this one week where we uh, pulled out a, a phrase like, long lay the world in sin and error pining. And we talked about the sin in the world that required God to send Jesus to save us. And then we sang, we pulled out that phrase that said, the soul felt its worth. And last weekend, my goal was to try to get you to understand the worth and the value that you have to God. These are all phrases that we sing in O Holy Night every year in the Christmas season. Well, today... We're going to pull out this amazing phrase. It's my favorite part of the song, O Holy Night. The phrase where we cry out to God, fall on your knees and hear the angel voices. Now, when we sing that out, and you're going to get an opportunity to sing that out this morning, because the first worship song that we're going to sing on the other side of this message is O Holy Night. And I want you today, when you sing that phrase, I want you to sing it out in a way that maybe you've never sung it out before. Because that phrase in the song, O Holy Night, is a call to the worship of God's people. It's a call to worship. And the reason there's a call to worship inside of a Christmas hymn is because you may not realize this, but there is a ton of worship going on in the Christmas story inside the Bible. So there are actually three different worship scenes that take place that you may not realize are a part of the Christmas story. So three times 
in the events surrounding the birth of Jesus Christ, people like fell on their knees and worshiped God and thanked him for what he did for them. And I want to show you all three of the scenes today so you can see how much worship actually shows up in the Bible. We're going to spend our whole morning just in, just in Luke's gospel today because Luke gives us most of the details of the Christmas story. So we're going to pick up Luke's story where we left off last week. So last week we talked through the story about how Mary had the angel Gabriel show up to her and Gabriel told her that she was going to be the fulfillment of this ancient prophecy by Isaiah where Isaiah, 700 years earlier, had said that a virgin would give birth to a child. So the angel shows up and speaks that to Mary. And she believes it. And what happens then is that God's spirit comes upon her life. God puts the, the baby Jesus into her womb. And she starts to grow that child as any woman would grow, would grow a child in her womb. And so she goes through this process of being prepared to give birth. And what happens is after Gabriel departs from her and after God miraculously puts this child in her womb, Mary is the first person in the Christmas story who goes into worship. There's actually, there's a couple passages in Luke's gospel that get very little airtime in the Christmas season. We should give them more airtime. And one of them is a song that Mary sang to God after she had been given this child, miraculously as a virgin. She actually sings a song. Now, the problem that we have, I'm going to read for you the song today. The problem that we have is here we are. We are 2,000 years removed from this story. So the Bibles that we have today, I don't know if you know this, but they didn't speak English 2,000 years ago. So the Bibles that we have today are a translation of, of the native tongue of the actual speakers. So when Mary sang a song after being miraculously given this child, she would have sung most likely in her native tongue of Hebrew. So what happened is Mary probably sang this beautiful song to God in Hebrew, which then got translated to the original Greek language that the original Bible was written in, that then got translated into English for us. And so we come to the Bible and we read the lyrics of Mary's song, and in English it sounds very clunky. Because we would never write a song like this, because our songs rhyme and they have a rhythm and a beat to them. But Mary probably had that when she sang this out to God in her native Hebrew tongue. We just read it through multiple translations that we have today. So I want to read for you what Mary cried out to God, what she sang out to God. And I wish we could hear with our ears what it sounded like when it came out of her, when it came out of her mouth and, 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 her, and her voice in, in all of its beauty sung to the Lord. Here's what Mary sang to God. It, it says this. Um, Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations, she said, will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm, and he has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry, she said, with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. 
Now, again, guys, we read that in English all these years later, and it's hard for us to appreciate the beauty of what Mary cried out to God. If we could have heard her sing, what we would have seen in Mary was heartfelt worship to God. That's what she brought the Lord that day. This is the first of three different worship scenes that show up in the Christmas story. The second worship scene shows up from a guy named Zechariah. So let me tell you a little bit of Zechariah's story. So Zechariah was a priest. And what happened in, in, in ancient Israel, the way things worked is, if you were a priest, you were a part of what was called a priestly division. It was like a whole grouping of priests who lived in a certain area of the country of Israel. And your division of priests would be given every year a two-week assignment to go to the temple in Jerusalem. And so normally, your normal assignment for 50 out of 52 weeks of the year was that you ministered to the people in your local region who were, who were coming to the synagogues to worship. You led them in their worship. But two weeks out of the year, your whole division would go up to the temple in Jerusalem and you would minister to everybody who would come to the temple. That's how it worked. So Zechariah, his division one year, goes up to the temple, and what they would do is they would draw lots. And there was one incredibly special assignment that one priest would be chosen for. They would choose it by lot. And so the assignment was, if your lot got drawn, you were supposed to go into the temple in Jerusalem every, every single day, and you were supposed to keep the incense burning just outside of the most holy place. So the temple was like this really long structure. And the further that you walked into the temple, the more, there, the more restrictions there were on who could keep walking deeper. And if you got all the way to the back of the temple, they had this spot called the most holy place. It was separated by a huge thick curtain. Which, by the way, if you remember the story of Jesus' death, that's the curtain that ripped after Jesus was crucified on the cross. God tore that curtain. There was a giant curtain that, was, that separated man from God. The, the Ark of the Covenant, the one that they were looking for in, uh, what, what's that movie from the 80s? I'm blanking on, off the top of my head. The Harrison Ford movie. Raiders of the Lost Ark. There you go. The Ark of the Covenant that they were looking for was behind that curtain. And so the presence of God was, 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 was thought to be back there. And so no human being could go into the most holy place. And so what you had to do is you had to keep the incense burning outside of the most holy place. And that's what Zechariah was doing one year. So one day he goes in just outside of the, of, the, of the curtain. And while he's there, the same angel who showed up to Mary now shows up to Zechariah. So we've got Gabriel back. What Gabriel tells Zechariah is that his wife is also going to have a miraculous birth. Totally different circumstances. Zechariah and Elizabeth were very old, all right? They're gray, they're probably a little wrinkly, they're beyond childbearing years, they've never had a child at all. And so Gabriel shows up and says, tells Zechariah, hey, you're going to be given a child. And Zechariah is confused by this. But the angel tells him that the reason Elizabeth is going to get pregnant is because she's going to have a child she's supposed to name John. He would become John the Baptist he would be born right around the same time as Jesus, but his ministry would be go to go before Jesus. He would be used by God to prepare the Israelites to receive Jesus as the Messiah. That was going to be John's ministry. So Zechariah encounters this angel, and, and, and he responds differently. So Mary 
When she saw Gabriel, she just believed everything Gabriel said. But Zechariah didn't believe everything Gabriel said. Because he thought like a human being and he said to the angel, how could my wife Elizabeth become pregnant when she's so far beyond childbearing years? And so Gabriel says, great question. It's the last one you're going to ask for nine months. And he seals his tongue. So Gabriel now comes out of the temple and he comes out and he can't speak. He's trying to tell people that he'd seen an angel. So the, the people now can, you know, from him, you know, dancing around and trying to, you know, explain this, they figure out that he's seen an angel, but he cannot talk. So now he, his two-week assignment gets over. He's got to go home and convince his wife that it's time to start dating again. I don't know how long it had been since they had done that, right? And so he goes home to his wife. He makes love to his wife, and his wife becomes miraculously pregnant. Uh, his, Zechariah, his, his, um, his, uh, his wife goes through the whole pregnancy, and he never uh, is able to talk the whole time. Nine months go by, and he's never able to talk. Finally, the baby is born. And when the baby is born, it would have been the customary to name the baby after the father. And, and, and his wife says, no, 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 we're going to name the baby John. Right? And so when they ask him to write down if that's what he wants, he puts, yes, we're going to name the baby John. So this baby is born, and after he declares that the name of the child is John, now his tongue releases. So, so Zechariah has been sitting inside of his head for nine months. He's every, all he's been able to do is process thoughts. So the very, 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 very first words that come off of Zechariah's tongue are a worship song. And just like Mary... He sings, probably in his native Hebrew tongue, which then got translated to Greek, which then got translated to English. And just like Mary's song, we read it and it sounds very clunky in English because it doesn't rhyme and we don't have a melody and we don't have a beat and there's no bass drum to it. And, you know, but if we could hear Zechariah sing these words out in his native tongue, what we would see is a man who has gone into worship. And it is heartfelt worship. And so Zechariah sings these words out. He said, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and he has redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And then he continues on his song and now he starts singing to his son, the son who had been miraculously born to him. He said, and you, my child, he's singing this out, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to, to guide our feet into the path of peace. 
So again, pathway, the, these words sound clunky in English, but it was a, a song that was cried out from Zechariah, and it wasn't hollow worship. It was heartfelt. His life had been changed by God during that nine-month process while his tongue didn't work, and he was waiting for God to bring this miraculous child into the world. His whole life changed. This is what happens when your life changed. What happens is your worship starts to change. And you stop bringing to God hollow, empty words. You start bringing to God a, 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 a heartfelt, genuine spirit that says, God, I love you. And I'm so thankful for what you've done for me. These are two of the three worship scenes that show up in the Christmas story. So the third worship scene now plays out. What happens in the third worship scene is, is, is that now um, it's time for the child to be born. The Roman governor has called a census. Caesar has called uh, a, a census. All the people of Israel and all the Roman citizens have to go to their hometowns to be registered and counted as a part of the Roman census. So Joseph has to take his very pregnant wife on the back of a donkey and he has to bounce her across these roads for however long it is from the town of Nazareth to the town of Bethlehem, which was his hometown. So they have to go to Bethlehem to register the census. Mary is super pregnant, okay? Like, like, like all the way pregnant. Not part of the way, all the way pregnant, all right? She, I mean, she's about to give birth. They get to Bethlehem. So many people have descended on Bethlehem. There is no room available, which means that the only place that they can find is a barn, so they go into a barn with animals, not into a palace where the king of kings and the lord of lords should have been born into, but into a barn with animals. That night in the barn, it is that night that Jesus is born. And that night when Jesus is born, there are a group of shepherds who are out on the hillsides and they're tending to their sheep out on the hillsides. And, and after Jesus is born, <coughs> here's what happens to those shepherds. Chapter 2 and verse 8, it says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So these shepherds encounter an angel who tells them that there's a baby in a barn that they need to go find. So now, after the initial angel shows up, now a whole bunch of angels show up. Like a ton of angels show up. The, 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 Luke writes it as a company of angels. How many are in a company of angels? I have no idea. But here's what Luke writes. He says, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. So now the third worship scene is not people singing out to God. It's now the heavenly host. It's now the angels who are crying out and worshiping God and thanking him for everything he's done. It is the third worship scene that shows up in the Christmas story. 
And it is this worship scene that we sing about in O Holy Night when we, when, we, when we give that chorus to each other and say, fall on your knees and hear the angel voices. When we're calling each other to be worshipers. So Pathway, here's what we're going to do today. We have intentionally flipped this service around today. And the reason we did that is we want to give you an opportunity to go into heartfelt worship of God. So in just a second, our whole band's going to come out, and we're going to do our whole worship set, and it's going to be like 20 minutes long. And I want to encourage you to not bring to God hollow, empty words. I want you to encourage you to bring to God heartfelt, genuine, real worship. Don't be afraid to be a front row Fred. Don't be afraid to get those hands in the air and to sway and to move and to let your emotional state feel the presence of the Lord. God wants to encounter you today, and he loves it when you worship. So bring all of your emotion, everything you got to him. Now, now here's what we're going to do. Today, we're going to do some different things. So if at any point in this worship set, God moves in your life and you feel you need prayer for something, we have some prayer people who are in the room today. Could my prayer people stand up uh, t- today? Where are you at? So I've got Kathy and I don't see Chris Wood is back there. And they both have a yellow lanyard. They're going to be at the back of the room. You guys can go ahead and sit down. If you need prayer for anything, you just get out of your seat. And during these 20 minutes, you go and you be prayed for. They will lay hands on you and pray for you. Today, we've got two communion stations opened. So there's bread and grape juice on these communion stations. At any point in this worship, if you are ready to take communion, you step out of your seat whenever you're ready. You come and grab one, and you take communion on your own time. Now, the bread that you're going to eat is going to represent the body of Christ that was broken on a cross when Jesus died for your sins. And the grape juice that you're going to drink is going to represent the blood of Jesus that was shed all over the ground. So when you take communion, I want you to do it mindful, and I want you to do it worshipfully. The third opportunity we have is we have our baptismal open today. Now, we didn't get any baptisms registered for the 930 service. We had a couple that got registered for the 11. So I don't know if anybody wants to be baptized, but I'm just telling you it's open. So here's what you can do. If you feel it's time to be baptized, you can walk out into the lobby, and we have out there baptism kits. So you don't have to soak your clothes. And you can literally take one of these. This is a men's medium. This would not fit me. But if this fits you, you can have this one. And you go out and you grab it in the lobby. It'll be right on a table in the lobby. Just go to the bathroom, get changed, come back in. I will be in the front row. And if you're ready to be baptized, you come up to the front row. You tap me on the shoulder. We'll walk right up here on the platform, and we will baptize you while all the worship is taking place. All right? So if God's stirring on your heart, you just, just go grab one of these, guys. Now, here's the thing. If you have already been baptized... You do not need to be baptized again. So baptism is for those who have never been baptized, or if you were baptized maybe as a baby or as a child, maybe you were baptized at a stage of your life when you didn't really know what you were doing, and that's okay. You, you can be rebaptized in that scenario, okay? So if you want to be baptized as an adult believer, you just come and find me. I'll baptize you today. We'll walk right up and do it. Now, I'm going to ask you something. If you have walked into this room today, and you, and you have not yet given your life to Jesus, I'm going to ask you not to take communion and not to walk through with baptism. Baptism and communion are elements of worship that are reserved for people who have met Jesus. So if you, if you have met Jesus, these elements are open. If you've not met Jesus in a personal way yet, they're not open. But that's okay. We want to give you, you, have, you take as much time as you need to explore Christianity and to explore whether Jesus is who he says he is. You take all the time you need to do that. 
But I'm going to give you an opportunity right now. If you feel ready to turn to Jesus, you can literally change that right now. I'm going to lead you in a prayer, and it's a prayer of salvation. It's a prayer of invitation of Christ to come into your life and to change you from the inside out. So let's all bow our head and close our eyes. And if you feel ready to turn your heart to Jesus, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Just pray it in the most sincere, genuine, and heartfelt way. Lord Jesus, will you please come into my life? I'm inviting you in. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on a cross. I believe you rose from the dead. And Jesus, today I want to meet you, and I want to spend the rest of my life following you and serving you and loving you. Jesus, please come in and change me and forgive me of my sins. And everybody keep your heads bowed, your eyes closed. If you're praying that prayer this morning and inviting Jesus in, I would love to know about it. So with nobody looking around, if you're praying that prayer, would you have the courage just to lift your hand nice and high and to tell us, is anybody inviting Christ into their life today? Go ahead and put your hand in the air if you are. Okay, okay, amen, amen, amen.